Okay, this morning we have a, a message on fathers, or men in general. I couldn't make it just that specific, so um, there is a uh, two verses that we're going to be looking at this morning from 1 Corinthians. So if you turn in with your Bibles there, it's chapter 16, and we'll be reading verse 13 and 14. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. says there, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong, let all things, let all your things be done with charity. That's what we'll be looking at today as a, a challenge to the men in this church. Let's uh, pray before we uh, get into the message. Father, we thank you once again for your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have preserved it for us and we can trust every syllable, every word in it. Father, we just pray that our hearts would now be tuned to your spirit, that he might be our teacher this morning, that he would teach us because he is the author of this word. And Father, we just pray that as we leave this place today, that we would be further challenged to live for you, our Saviour, that we would be men of God, that we would um, support our families, our wives, our, and be um, the men that you would have us be for our children. Father, we thank you once again for this time. May the name of our Saviour be lifted up in this place this morning. We pray this in His precious name. Amen. Yeah, today we celebrate Father's Day. It honours fathers and the role that they uh, that they are in uh, in terms of the family. And most of you today have are probably organised something for lunch or something you've done in the morning or maybe a dinner that you're having. And some of you might be going between families uh, if you have two fathers. This morning, if you're um, if you're in a, a marriage, um, and it's not a bad thing. I mean, it's it's actually a worldly event, but it's but it's actually an event that helps to focus on and honour fathers. Anything that helps us to honour our fathers, honour our mothers, and helps us to, just to keep those things in check. It's actually not a bad thing, as long as it doesn't become a law. That's the that's the main thing. But if it's done in the right way, uh, it can be done with great benefit. There were two fellows, we'll call them Bobby and Bubba. Um, sorry, this is the, this is the story. Right? <laughs> Bobby and Bubba walked into a cafeteria and there was a big sign on the cafeteria and it says, watch your hat and overcoat. So while, these, while Bobby and Bubba were, were enjoying their coffee and, and whatever they were eating in the restaurant, um, Bobby was determined to keep an eye on his overcoat. There was a new one that he had and he didn't want to, anyone taking it because, well, the sign said, keep an eye on your overcoat. So every, every minute while Bobby was eating, he'd turn around and he'd be looking for his overcoat to make sure that it was still there and no one was taking it um, because the cafeteria wasn't taking any responsibility. So this kept going on. After, after 45 minutes of turning around every minute, Bubba said to him, listen, mate, calm down. You don't, have to, you don't have to watch our overcoats anymore. It, it's all right. And, and to which Bobby replied, he goes, I'm only watching mine. Yours left half an hour ago. <laughs> our verse today begins with, watch ye. Watch. Bobby had a vested interest in his overcoat. 
He wasn't that concerned about someone else's overcoat, he was concerned about his overcoat. Why? Because it was special to him. Okay? So that's one thing I want, to keep, want you to keep in mind, men, as we, as we look at this, uh, this message today. Why was Bob, what was Bobby's overcoat so special to him? And Bubba's, he, was, he didn't really care whether Bubba's walked out the actual cafeteria. Okay? Um, this verse begins this morning in verse 13 with, Watch ye. Now, watch doesn't necessarily mean go and watch a game of football or watch the flowers grow or the grass grow. It doesn't mean, you know, watch the beautiful sunset. It means keep vigilant. Be on the alert. Be watchful. Be on guard. What do we need to be on guard for? What do we, what do we, what men, what do we have to be vigilant for? This is, this is saying to men specifically, these two verses are addressed to men, Okay. Uh, it seems that the role of a man is to keep watch for something or for more than one thing. In fact, the Bible says from the very beginning, man was to keep watch, was to be on guard. Uh, that was the job that was given to Adam in the garden. So God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in a garden and he says to God, you keep this, you keep this, which means you, you guard it. You make sure, you preserve it. And did Adam do a good job of that? Well, no. Adam didn't keep watch enough because an intruder had come into the garden and was deceiving his wife. And before he knew it, his wife was deceived and he had fallen as well. So Adam didn't do a very good job of watching. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, sorry, it's my... And he was soon to be betrayed into the hands of men, crucified. He was praying to his father in that garden. And this was such a, a, a culminating point in his ministry. His whole life had led up to this point where he'd be betrayed, handed over to the, to, uh, to the Gentiles and to the people that hated him. And he'd be crucified for the sins of the world. He had come for this very purpose. And in that garden, in that specific time, there was, such, there was such pressure on him. The Bible says that as he was praying, he bled drops of blood. He, sorry, he sweated drops of blood. Can you imagine the stress that he was under at that time? The enemy knew, and Jesus knew very well, that Satan would attack at this particular time. This was his most vulnerable time. This was the time when he, was, when he was about to take on the sin of the world. Every sin before him and every sin that would come after him was about to be put on his shoulder. His own father would turn away from him at that point and he knew very well what was coming. And it wasn't the pain that he was about to go through. It was the fact that he, for the first time in all of eternity, he was about to be disconnected from his father. So with that in mind, he asked his disciples. He brought his disciples to a certain place and he said to most of them, you wait down there, you guys wait. And he brings with him John, James and Peter. And he says, you three come up with me. And he says to those three, I want you to pray, I want you to watch with me. But what do they do? They fell asleep. 
Turn to Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, because it would do well to actually understand and read this passage. Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. Then said he unto them, this is to the three, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep. And saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So three times he went to his disciples and three times he found them asleep. He asked them to do one simple thing, which was to watch with me. Watch. Because something was about to happen. Something was going on. This was a critical time in all of this plan that God had, God had uh, put together. And he was exceedingly sorrowful. He was very, very sad. At that particular point, so sad, so down, that he felt like he was about to die at that point, even to death, it says. So when he comes to his three closest buddies, the three best friends that he had in this world, and he says, guys, I need you to watch with me. They let him down three times. What is it with three? Peter lets him down again three times later on as well they failed him three times they simply could not keep watch they simply couldn't look out for their master at his most vulnerable and weakest point they couldn't keep a lookout for him they failed the apostle Paul tells Timothy but watch thou in all things endure affliction do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry watch in all things the Bible says we aren't just to keep watch at certain times a man's job, and a father's job specifically because you have children that you have responsibilities for, is to watch out in all things. Watch what's going on. Be alert. Be on guard. Because we have an enemy who is roaming around seeking whom he may devour. We need to keep watching every aspect of our lives. We are, we are called to be vigilant at all times. In our private lives, our family lives, our work lives, our church lives, you know all those different lives? They are one. One life. We like to separate all those different lives. But they're actually one. It's, it's the, simply the responsibilities that we've been given as men. We like to separate them and say, our oh, church is one thing and, uh, and, and family is something else. But you know something? You are responsible men for everyone that's been put in your care. If you think you're not responsible for people that you see around you here in this church, 
that you're responsible less for them than for your own family, you better think again. Because God calls you to be responsible, to be leaders, to be on the watch. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Because there's a very specific reason why we need to be on guard. And I've mentioned to you already, but I'd like us to read this scripture. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. What Peter, James and John did not realise in that garden, while Jesus was exceedingly sorrowful, is, is that he was vulnerable at that point. And that there was an enemy who... who would try and take advantage of him. Just as Jesus, after 40 days of fasting, the devil came in and tried to get him at his weakest point, this was another point, a critical uh, point, where the enemy would try and attack. And his disciples didn't quite get it. But it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober. It doesn't mean don't be drunk. When it says in Scripture, be sober, it means to be on the look. Be alert. Don't be sleepy. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adverse adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Why? Because our enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion and he wants to devour, he wants to consume, he wants to kill. He came here and he is here to steal, to kill and to destroy. And you know who his target is? It's us. Men, it's your families. Who he wants to destroy? It's you. We need to be vigilant. In Jesus' days, and you don't see many cities like these days, but the cities used to be walled. They used to have a big wall around them. So Jerusalem has a, has a wall around it. We're studying Nehemiah at the moment in the leadership group. And that's a story about a man who God gave this, this uh, hungering desire to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Because without a wall... The city is vulnerable. And once the wall is built, the wall was quite high. There were men who had very specific jobs of standing up on the top of that wall and they were called watchmen. And the reason they were there is that from that point, they'd be looking around in all directions and their job was to see if there was any enemy coming from a distance. They could see them coming from far away. And if they saw an enemy or an army starting to approach, they'd, they'd blow a trumpet. They would alert everyone else, get ready guys, there's someone coming and I can see them. And with the wall around, they would have protection from that army. They'd have to break through that wall to get to the families and the people inside. Men, you are not only called to be the watchman for your families, we are called to watch and see what's going on, to see where the enemy is trying to infiltrate. We are the wall. We're the wall. The devil has to get through us first to get to our families. That's the way it should be. The devil has to get through us first to get to our church. Where do you stand in the fight? If we're not, first of all, vigilant, watching what's going on, if we fail to notify the people around us as to the danger that's coming, then we've failed in our very first step. Our very first task is to warn people. 
is to warn our families, it's to warn our brethren, it's to warn our wives, it's to warn the people who are more susceptible and weaker than us that, hey, there's an enemy over there. Stand back. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritually, spiritual wickedness in high places. This wickedness is not in low places. This wickedness is not stuck in hell. This wickedness is in high places, elevated, powerful. Men, we have been called as fathers, husbands, leaders to keep watch for ourselves too. That we don't fall into temptation. When the three disciples who were with Jesus were failing in what they were doing, continually falling asleep, which is what most Christians do. Most Christians are asleep. Completely oblivious to what's going on around them. Completely oblivious to what the devil is doing. It says there's a temptation there. Jesus says, beware lest you be tempted. Because if you're asleep, the devil can get, get you as well. So we need to be keeping a watch for ourselves. Because if we fall, then what protection do our families have? What protection do the weaker Christians have? We have to be careful that we don't fall into temptation because of the people that have been placed into our care. Our spouses, our children, our brothers, our sisters, as I've mentioned already. Lack of watchfulness will place our families and our church at risk of attack. And as I've mentioned, he came to steal, to kill and to destroy. To underestimate his determination in this is to already fail. We need to keep watch. The second thing it says is to stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. This has nothing to do with, with, um, with quickness. The term fast has nothing to do with quickness or speed. Okay, I'll just let you know that from the, from the get-go. We are called to persevere, to hold our ground, to be firm in the midst of the enemy coming toward us. While we are called to watch, we must also be ready to stand when the devil reaches when the devil and the enemy reaches us. So the next item that Paul wants the Corinthian men to know is that they have to stand fast in the faith. And as I mentioned, it's got nothing to do with speed. It has to do with fastening. The definition of that word fast is to fix one thing to another. You know where it says we fastened our boat with a rope? That's exactly what it means. To hold something in place. Okay, So you might fasten a nail to the wall. It's fixed on there. That's what this word means. Fast. To be fast means to be planted and solid. I've mentioned, I think I may have mentioned this picture before, but in the, Roman, in the Roman armies or any armies before the Romans, the Greeks or whatever, you'd have a line of men with shields and they'd hold the shield with one arm in a line together as the enemy was approaching and with this hand they'd have a sword. But the first point was to hold your ground so they would lean forward together because the enemy would rush all of a sudden and then impact. And if they, weren't, if they weren't ready for that impact, they would break the line 
that the ones in the front were, were called to hold. Because if you couldn't hold your ground, the enemy would break through and start to, and start to kill the people behind you. You were called to hold. That's what this word means. Stand fast. Fast. Get your feet planted and get ready. But ready in what? It says to stand fast in the faith. In the faith. Stay true to what you believe. You know when the Bible says the faith, it's talking about the gospel. It's talking about the truth that we learn from the word of God. It's not talking about your faith. It's talking about what we believe in the faith. Okay? So this is saying, don't waver when it comes to the faith which has been delivered to us and preserved in these pages of this Bible in the Word of God for the saints for all time. Don't waver with that. If God tells you this is the truth, don't get swept around by every wind of doctrine that comes our way. With every, with every philosophy of the world, don't get swayed by it. Stand fast with that truth in the faith. Faith. You must know what the, what the faith is first, though, to be able to stand in it, don't we? So you need, there's an implicit command here, that if the, Bible, if the Lord says, stand fast, stand firm in the faith, it means you have to know it. Because if you don't know it, if you don't know the word of God well enough, you can't stand in it. So, men, there's a, there's a command in here to learn the word of God, to know it well enough. So that when someone comes and attacks that faith, you know how to defend it. So men, what are we doing? Do we know the faith? How well do we know it? If someone came and attacked your faith, if someone came and said, oh, salvation is not just by grace through faith, but you have to do something else as well. You have to add something. How would you defend that? Would you know? If someone says to you, oh, salvation is by some other, some other means, would you know how to defend your position? Because, men, if you can't defend your position, how, what, what chance does your family have? What chance do the, do the, the people that are, that are weaker have? Our children. If you can't defend it, then how can the weaker ones defend it? Men, we've been called to stand fast in the faith. We need to know it. We need to know it. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14 Turn with me there. Let's, let's have a bit of a look at that one over there. Because Paul repeats the same thing to the Thessalonians. Now some of you may find this particular two verses very interesting. There's one particular word that you might find interesting here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, men, stand fast. There's our word. Stand fast. Hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or epistle. And you might say traditions. <gasps> traditions. I used to believe in traditions when I was in the Catholic Church. But I've been told now that traditions aren't, aren't that important. You know what tradition is talking about here? The traditions of truth that have been delivered to us by his epistles, by the epistles that you have in the Word of God. 
and by the word of the apostles that has come that has come. So it's not the traditions that men have made up after the word of God, it's traditions that we find in the word of God. Now we have traditions over here that we have, we believe, and we, we, uh, we celebrate the Lord's table every two weeks. Huh? That's tradition. And we, we know why we celebrate it. We're celebrating the sacrifice that was made on our behalf at Calvary, and we do that every two weeks. That's a tradition, believe it or not. We do it every two weeks. Some of the churches might do it once a month. Other churches might do it every, every week. That's our tradition. Our tradition is that we baptise people by full immersion. And we do that for a very particular reason. Actually, a number of reasons. Because the Bible tells us so. We meet every week in this particular place. That's tradition. Because the Bible tells us to meet every week. The Bible says that there should be a pastor in the church. There should be deacons in the church. The Bible says that people should give in the church. There are a number of traditions, but all these things only come from the Word of God. So where, where the Apostle Paul says, stand fast and hold the traditions that have been delivered to you by the Word of God or through the letters that I've sent you or through the Word, through the words of the Apostles, hold fast to those things. Don't let them go. This is exactly the same thing that this other passage is telling us in Corinthians. Hold fast. Know them first. Learn them. Be convinced of them. And then stand. And why do we have to stand fast? Because the devil is seeking to destroy us. The devil will seek to destroy our doctrine as a way of destroying our church. And by destroying doctrine, he destroys the unity in the church as well. So the way he destroys the church is if we believe in eternal security, which we do, he'll bring someone from the outside into our church to try and spread that you can lose your salvation and that you have to keep salvation by your effort. So all of a sudden we've got people going, ah, I'm not sure. Well, if you're not sure, then go to the people that are sure. And men, we've been called to be sure. Sure about all the important doctrines that the Lord's given us. That's why discipleship is so important. If you haven't, I'll challenge you on this, men. If you haven't done some form of discipleship and you don't know your doctrine, then you are putting your own family and the people around you at risk. Because you've been called to defend it. You've been called to stand fast. You have to be on the front line. You can't put your children on the front line. Who does that? What sort of a man is that? That puts his wife in the front. That's a good look, isn't it? I don't know how to, I don't know how to defend this. Uh, darling, you go to the front. You go there. You defend. No, man, we have a responsibility to do the, the standing fast. We are meant to be fighting, fighting on the front line. And our children and our church members and our families and our friends are the ones who should be behind us. We should be in front. Which brings us to the, the next point. Quit you like men. Quit you like men. No, it doesn't mean quit. It doesn't mean men are quitters here. Okay? That literally, this verse literally means be a man. Be a man. You like that? You don't hear that too often in the Bible. Be a man. It means don't be a quitter. Don't act like a kid, like a child. Act like a man. Behave like a man. 
Be courageous like a man. Be a real man. Stop living an immature life. Stand up and be counted. Because we're in a battle. And real men put up their hand and say, I'll, I'll go in that. I'm in that. I'll be the one to, de to defend. Not the ones who stay home. Being a man means ready to be counted. So men, we are called to keep watch for the enemy. We are called to stand fast in the faith. We are called not to be cowards or children. What does it mean to be a man and to act like a man? Well, the scripture gives us some answers to that. Let's look at a few scripture verses that speak to men in their varying roles of being a man. So we'll look at, we'll look at um, men as fathers, we'll look at, at husbands, we'll look at, um, at old men and young men and what the Bible has to say to them and what the picture of a man should be. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. And we'll start with that one there. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, it says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. How be it in malice be ye children? But in understanding be men. In understanding. So the scriptures teach that real men do not think like children. Real men have proper understanding. To have understanding means you have to have thought something through. You have to have analysed it worked it out and then taken it on board and you know it. Children only know things half and half. Men are called to know things properly. And because they know things properly, they can make proper decisions. Because if you only know half of the truth, you can't make a decision based on half the truth. You need the full story. So a real man actually goes down to the, to the root cause of things. He understands how to apply the word of God. He knows it well enough to say, oh, the word of God says this. This is how this should be. Therefore, I will do A, B and C with respect to my children, myself and my family. A real man knows the word of God. His understanding is not vague. He knows what he believes. And because he knows what he believes and he knows how to apply it, he's a man, not a child. A child is still learning to understand and then to apply. A real man knows how to apply it. A man does not think of him, of them. Sorry, men do not think of themselves the same way children think of themselves too. Children are in it for themselves. They're in it to learn, yes, but they're not in it to make decisions on behalf of other people, are they? Men, you've been now called not just to make decisions on on behalf of yourself, but on other people as well. This is where the responsibility lies. They think on others before they think about themselves, you see. There's a switch in mentality. And in that, their first thought is about Jesus Christ. Their first thought is about the Lord and their relationship with Him. Because if the relationship with your Saviour isn't right, then you cannot have a proper relationship with people around you. You cannot protect them when your eyes are not on the Commander and chief. If you've got your eyes off your leader, off your captain, then you can't properly defend your family. Do you understand? 
So we are called to first of all think about the Lord and our relationship to Him. Are we listening to Him? Do we know Him personally? Have we learnt of Him? Do we know how to apply His Word that He's given us? Have we read this war manual that we have over here? Because it is in many ways a manual for war. Next they think about the people around them. The people that God has put into their care. That's what a real man thinks of. They think about the people, he thinks about the Lord, he thinks about the people, their families, their church families that, that God has put in their care that they need to protect. And guess where they come? At the end somewhere. At the end. Not at the beginning. They come at the end. A child needs to be led in their thinking. A man, rather, leads the thinking. He guides the thinking for his children and his family. Which brings us to the next one, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Ephesians 5, 25 says, Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself as well. So love your wife first. And if you're loving your wife, you're actually loving yourself without even realising it. Okay? Happy wife. Come on, man, you know that. Before we got married, we learned that one. Happy wife, happy life, isn't it? <laughs> a married man, a man who has made a commitment before the Lord to, to, to love his wife, for better or for worse, and all that sort of stuff that, that, that we've said at that, at that altar or at the, in, front of, uh, in front of many witnesses, we are called to commit. We are called to follow through. A real man, a real husband, understands what that commitment means. Because he has chosen, he has declared that he will love and cherish this other individual and he will protect that individual. And this other individual, he will hold up because they are, the, the Bible says, the weaker vessel. You know what the Bible says, the weaker vessel? It doesn't mean that weak in terms of, in terms of like, you know, it's just, it's, it's weak as a derogatory term, but it's something that's, Fragile, more delicate. It needs to be. It needs to be handled with care. Men, we're called to handle our wives with great care and love. We're to cherish them in every possible way. We are to love them. The Bible calls us to to love them, which means, as Christ was willing to give Himself for the church, and He did, a man is ready to sacrifice himself for his wife. Now, if he's ready to sacrifice himself for his wife, he's ready to sacrifice himself for his children as well and his whole family. So, men, once again, we don't come first in the line of privileges. We come last. We are called to serve our families because genuine love means to serve, to uphold. We are in the front line when it comes to defending them. We are in the back when it comes to serving. Okay? At the same time. Real men... Loved their wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for it. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Turn to the next chapter, 
verse 4. It says, And ye fathers, Ephesians 6, 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, a real father doesn't provoke his children and get them upset and angry. He doesn't, um, uh, what's it called, abuse the authority that he has as a father. And men, you have authority in your family, by the way. And if your family doesn't go right, you know whose fault it is? It's, sorry, but it's yours. Okay? You have the authority in your family. You can't blame other your wife or your children when things don't go right. The call is yours. And if you've relinquished your authority to your wife, don't go blaming her when things don't go right. Is that fair enough? God's called you to be the, the, the man of the house. You're the protector. You're the leader. If you don't lead, your wife will. And you can't blame her when things don't go right because you've given up on your duties. Fathers are not meant to provoke their children to wrath, which means get them angry, get them upset. A father's job is not that. A father's job is not to abuse the authority that he has, but he is called to nurture his children. He's called to encourage his children to look to Jesus Christ and say, look, be like him. Look, just as I, I'm trying to be like him, you can be like him as well. So we're called to be examples to our children. We're called to be, when they look at us, they're meant to see, guess who? They're meant to see Jesus Christ. They're meant to see the Saviour in our families. The way we act in our homes is really the best indication of what we believe about our Saviour. Isn't it? It's all nice to act around here. It's all nice to be all, you know, polite and gentle and kind and speak the Bible and all that sort of stuff and you know and, and be uh, be loving and kind and and and, and patient and, and all these things the Bible tells us to be. But what are we like at home? How do we act at home? Because if we don't act the same as when we're here, now I'm sorry to say, but there's some masquerade going on. We're called to behave the same. In fact, our home is the indication, really, of what we're like as men. Because if we can't act like Jesus in our homes, then you know who's suffering the most? Our families. It's saying that we're happy to sacrifice our families on that altar because we're not willing to step up. When our children see us, when our children look to us, the type of character we have in our homes is a type of character they're going to bring with them to their next family. And is a type of character they're going to imagine in their minds that God is like. Some of the, the reason people can't turn to Christ and find it difficult to accept him as Saviour is because they've been in abusive relationships before with their fathers. Their fathers have been cruel. Their fathers have been, not been kind. They've not shown them what God is really like. So God calls us to be like him in our families. When our children look to us, the first time they get to see what the father's like. So when we say we have a heavenly father, if we've done our job properly as men and fathers, they will say, oh, I've got a father just like my father in heaven. <gasps> That's wonderful. But imagine if they, you've, got, you've done your job very badly 
and you say to them, oh, you've got a heavenly father. What's the first thing I think? I don't want another one like you. One's too much. I can't handle you now. What would I want a second father for? Is he like you? I don't want any of that. Men, do you understand the challenge that we have here? We are called to be like Christ in our families. Lead firmly, but gently and lovingly. We're not called to, to provoke our children, but we're called to nurture them in that love that God has shown us. Turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 2 with me, please. Titus chapter 2, verse 2. It says, the aged men, that means the older guys, the ones who are a few years under their belts. It says, be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, which is love, in patience. Now go down to verse 6. Then it says, young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Real men, real men, old and young, are called to be sober, which is not, like I said to you, not, it's not, not about getting drunk at all. This thing is about being alert. We are called to be alert. Because someone who's drunk is not very alert. Okay? We are called to be perceptive and alert. Young and old are called to be the same. We're called to be vigilant, Watchful, we are called to be grave. That word grave means we're called to be serious about things. When it comes to serious things, yes, you can joke, you can actually have fun with your families. When it comes to the serious stuff, take it seriously. Don't joke about important things. Okay? Don't take the word of God lightly. Take it seriously when you're applying it. Temperate means don't be driven by wild emotions. Don't one day be up and next, next minute be down. Don't get angry and, 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 um, and, and let, your, let your anger burst out in front of people. It means temperate. People like to live in temperate climates, don't they? There's a reason for that. And men are called to be temperate. We're called to be level-headed and consistent with our character. We're called to be sound in the faith, it says here. Sound in the faith, which we've already said. But in here... It actually says, sound in what? Not the faith. Faith. Sound in faith, which means what I believe and my faith in Jesus Christ is unwavering. How I trust him isn't affected by what's going on around me. I always trust him. We are called to be strong with our faith. It's a faith that's tried and tested. It stood the test. It doesn't falter when a challenge comes our way. The Bible says in charity here, which means consistently love people, consistently put them first, consistently sacrifice yourself so that others might grow. It says impatience, which means we don't give up on people. We don't give up. We persist. We keep going. You know why? Not because there's any power or energy in us. It's because we have a great saviour who gives us much grace each and every day. We persist. If you're a man, you are called to persist. Don't give up on your families. Don't give up on, on, on people who are struggling. 
We are called in this fight for the long term. This is not a fight where we fight and then we have a rest. This is a fight that, that's going on until the Lord calls us home. All men, including the young ones, are called to be a pattern of good works. Well, that means simply be an example. Let people see the pattern in your life. Because people copy, patterns can be copied. Do you understand? So when Paul says, look at me, he knows. The pattern he's showing everyone else is easy to, easy to duplicate. He reads his Bible. He goes to church faithfully. He does this. He does that. The things that he does are easy to see. They're out in the open for everyone to look at. And people can say, oh, look at the pattern. Look at the way he lives his life. Oh, I might do that as well. I'm struggling with this. I don't know how to do it. Let me try and follow the way he does it. We're called to be a pattern of good works, an example for others. And once again, we'll finish these off. We're called to be strong in doctrine, serious, sincere. And we know how to speak the truth in love. In other words... God comes first in our lives. God comes first, not last, in everything that we do. Then the people that have been put into our care are second and we come last. Which brings us to point D. Be strong, it says there. Be strong. Isaiah 35, 3 says, Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a feeble heart, Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and he will save you. Strength in a man does not come from thinking that we are strong within ourselves. But it comes from knowing that we have a Saviour who is strong, who has gone before us, who has fought the battle and won it. That's what it means to be strong. You get courage when you know that the one that, that we serve has actually won the battle already. He knows everything. He sees everything. It gives us motivation. It, it, it's, it strengthens us. With the Lord, there is no need to fear. We can run into the fray. We can run into the fight. We can fight the battle because our captain and commander has gone before us. You can fight with great confidence when you know that God will save you. When you know that God's there watching your back. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, he says here, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. A strong man is strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not our own power. If we try to do this thing in our own power and our own strength, we fail every time. A strong man doesn't mean to be physically strong, it means to be spiritually strong. And in that spiritual strength, we draw constantly, consistently from the Lord and from his word. We're ready to fight this battle because we know there is an enemy who will seek to destroy us and our families. Be strong, being strong for the Lord means being strong for those that God has given to us to care for. The question is this morning, men, will you be strong? 
Will you be strong? Will you train? Because any soldier needs to know how to train and go through physical exertion in order to get strong. How do you, how do you train spiritually and get strong like that? Well, that's, test, that's putting your faith to the test. That's whatever you've learned in that Bible, you go and apply out there, in here and out there. And sometimes it's difficult to do that. In fact, it's almost always difficult to do that because it goes against the grain. It's always more difficult. But God wants us to move. He wants us to learn to apply the things that we've, we've, we've picked up from his word, that we've been taught from his word. Will you train? Will you then fight? Will you be willing to put on the armour of God? The Bible says that you can't go into an, a, a battle without putting the armour on. You know, sometimes the armour is, is a bit uncomfortable. The armour can be a little bit heavy. Yeah? But it's there for a reason. So when God tells to put on the breastplate of righteousness, we have to hold a shield. You have to put a helmet on. You know, all those things. Sometimes I feel, oh, it's a little bit heavy. It's a little bit uncomfortable. But it's so much better when you're in the front line with armour than without any armour. God calls us to put the armour on. So it says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Will we properly fulfill these obligations as men in our families, in our church? And it says that we are to, in verse 14, do all things with charity, with love. So whether we are watching, standing, quitting ourselves like men and being strong, the Bible says in all things we do this in love. We are to love. We are called to love him first and love everyone else around us. So what does this look like? And why did I ask you why Bobby cherished his or looked out for his coat before he looked after Bubba's? Because it was his. Do you understand? It was his. Turn with me just as a closing thing to John chapter 10. I just want to illustrate something for you this morning. passage yesterday in the, um, in the leadership group and it says here John chapter 10 verse 11 I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep but he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep the hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep now, in this passage, Jesus is comparing himself as the good shepherd to those who came before and who were there, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were just paid hands. And Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. You know why I'm the good shepherd? Because I'm willing to give my life for these sheep that are in my care. The ones who were just getting paid, as soon as they see a wolf coming, because they're only in it for the money and the reward and what they can get out of it, they run. They're not going to risk their lives when a wolf comes along to protect the sheep. And the Bible says that when that happens, when they run, the wolf comes along, starts grabbing the sheep, the sheep are scattered and they're destroyed. Why? Because they 
because they were hirelings, they weren't, the sheep weren't theirs. They weren't theirs. You see where it says here, who's in verse 12, he is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not. The hireling doesn't see the sheep as his. No ownership. No ownership. They're not mine. They're someone else's. Let them take care of them. Whereas the shepherd sees the sheep as his. He realises, I've got ownership of this. These are my responsibility. So when the wolf comes, he doesn't first, first of all think to himself, I'm gone, I'm out of here, let someone else have responsibility. The first thing he thinks of is, what do I do to protect these sheep? And if he has to, he takes the wolf head on. That's what a man is. Men, do you understand that we've been called to be shepherds? We have a great shepherd. We have the great shepherd who is our perfect example, who gave his life for us. But do you understand in all these things, whether it's a husband who has to give his life for his wife, whether, it's, whether it says be strong huh? and it says quit you like men and fight, in all of these things, it's the same picture being given to us over and over again. Men, fathers, husbands, you're being called to stand in the front line and be ready to give your life for the people that you love. And if you aren't ready to give your life for those people, then you don't love them. You don't love them as you should. And if you don't show that love, it tells us and it tells the Lord, you don't think they're yours. This is why I struggle with people who just go from one church to another to another. Do you understand? Church is a family. So when you commit your life to the Lord and the Lord brings you to a church... If you just say to yourself, oh, no, no, I'm not really part of this group over here, and as soon as something goes wrong, you enjoy the fellowship, you enjoy the preaching, you enjoy all the stuff, and then what you do, as soon as something goes wrong, as soon as a wolf starts approaching and starts causing problems, the first thing you do is say, see ya, I'm out of here. What does that tell you about who you are? Do you understand, not understand that you're actually a shepherd? For the people that you are with. And if you never commit to anything, you're a hireling all your life. All you are is a person who's trying to get out of it what they want for themselves. That is the most miserable existence you can imagine. When you're living for yourself your whole life. But God has called us to much greater things, men. God has put great responsibility on our shoulders. He has put people into our care and that includes your wife, your children, your church and the people who are unsaved with you, they're in your care and one day you will have to give an account for them and what you've done for them. Do you think it's only the pastor who's been, who has to watch for your souls? Do you think it's only the pastor's responsibility to keep track of and make sure that, that people's salvation and, and their walk is going well? No. No, no, no. God calls us, all men, to stand up. Every one of us need to stand up. Do you think that it's only the mature ones, like deacons and pastors, who have the responsibility to watch out for the flock? No. We all do. 
So this morning, man, the challenge is, will you watch? Will you stand? Will you be a man and be strong for the Lord and for your family? God bless you. Thank you.